Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, The Fan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. You're going to need a bigger boat. Tim Graham show is back. I am back. I'm like Lazarus. <laughs> oh my lord. I took an ambulance ride a week ago. Oh jeez. I was in Ohio. Had a had the flu. And I think this is a statement or a testament to my age and what kind of condition I'm in. A flu shouldn't do this to a guy. That's brutal. I was having coughing fits so bad that I was passing out four times. Was it the swine flu? It was regular flu, according to the swab that they jabbed at my nose and it almost came out my eye. Chest x-rays were negative for pneumonia, so I think I'm okay now. It's been a week. That's not good to get into. I've been on a bunch of steroids. I would not pass uh, my drug test for, uh, you know what, for the XFL maybe, not Mm -hmm. the NFL. XFL, we don't. They're, they're talking about uh, all kinds of liberal drug testing in the XFL. I'm just wondering why I'm sitting right next to you right now. <laughs> well, I'm talking into this microphone right now that's sponge covered. Yes. And uh, Jerry Sullivan can talk into it tomorrow. Just don't lick it. Jerry's a little older than me, so it might knock him a little further <laughs> yeah, in the loop. That. But I, I'm doing some reassessments here. I think it's time for me to get in better shape, take better care of my body. The flu should not do what it did to me. Did you get a flu shot? I didn't. Uh, There's a problem. Well, it's part of the problem. I, I mean, we can get into that later. We have a guest on the line right now. <laughs> a little more important. No, it's not as important. This the, this guest is not nearly as important as a flu shot. <laughs> His opinions are important, though. Brandon Bean, general manager of the Buffalo Bills, is joining us. Brandon, do you man- mandate uh, flu shots for your players? Do they have to have them? Um, they're not mandated. They're encouraged, though. Okay. I, I'm guessing with guys, you know, you, uh, your immune systems are, are pretty volatile in sports because, yes, they're in shape, they're in condition, but you push them to the limit in practices and games. You get the temperature all up, and then you have a bunch of guys walking around naked in the locker room, coughing all over each other. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, uh, too, you've you got a lot of guys that – uh, have young kids too, so um, they're kind of coming out of college and into into pro and married life, and or you know, or at least maybe living with somebody and they have a kid, and so that's all it takes is uh, one one or two, and next thing you know, you're right, it's halfway through the locker room. And that's true, and when it comes to athletes, especially young men, the ones who aren't married, it is all uh, monogamous relationships, and they're all just one one uh, one mate in there too. So I'm sure that from a health standpoint. Uh... I'm trying to, but Mike Rodak, I'm trying to get a rise out of the guys here. They're not even paying any attention to me. And you're not taking me, you're not, uh, you're taking this way too seriously too, Brandon. So I'll just <laughs> go right. ahead and change the subject. So tell me, 
how happy are you with your team right now as we're on the verge of rookie minicamp? Uh, everybody signed, right? Well, I yeah. don't mean signed in terms oh. of contracts and your draft picks, but I mean your roster is where your roster is. It's You're probably not going to be hunting for free agents or anything between now and Friday. Um, what do you, what's the excitement level of getting a chance to take a look at your team and, and get, get these guys in Bill's helmets and jerseys and stuff on Friday? Yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's great. We always say drafts like Christmas morning, but really you don't get the gifts. You just, you hear about the gifts. Um, so, um, no, it's exciting to get these guys in here and let them see what we're about, get to know them a little closer. We've done all this recon and, and, uh, teach them the bill's way. And, and again, get them in our, in our unis, get them out there. And, you know, we'll have tryout guys here too. So it'll give, it'll give a, some of those guys a look, uh, and an opportunity, so to speak for, cause we're not at 90. And if any of those guys impress us enough, then maybe we add, you know, one, two, three guys, something like that. Um, but no, it, it's going to be fun to, uh, these guys are flying tomorrow. Um, all we can really do with them tomorrow is get their physicals. Hopefully, all that goes well, and then uh, we'll get him on the field Friday. An interesting development at quarterback uh, with Tyree Jackson here in your own backyard, and he gets through the draft, 254 picks. He's not selected. Can you walk us through your, your thought process with Tyree Jackson and, um, and bringing him in and how you think he factors into your quarterback room and your depth chart? Yeah, I mean, Tyree, uh, as I said at my press conference at the end of the year, I, I thought he would be drafted. Um, we obviously know him pretty well, seeing him play here, and um, we had a high attendance at his pro day, and then, you know, he agreed to come to our local day and through again, and we spent, you know, our coaches have spent time in meeting rooms with him, and um, Josh even worked out with him, uh, out with Jordan Palmer. So uh, we feel as familiar with him as any guy, in the, any quarterback in the draft, and so when, you know, when we saw – we were getting in the seventh round and nobody had taken him. Uh, we started saying, hey, let's if this, if he doesn't get drafted, uh, let's see if we can get him in here, and, and he wasn't. So um, this guy's a big, athletic young man, still has some things he's working on, you know, rawness or whatever you want to call it, but uh, he's got upside and uh, he's got the right DNA from work habits from what I understand. And uh, so he'll come in here, he'll compete, just like we do with everybody, and uh, we're a long way away from deciding, you know, who's going to make the roster and who's not. So that's really not um, something I would be able to give you much insight into how we've seen him fit other than he's just going to come in and compete uh, behind, um, you know, Josh and, and, you know, with those other guys. Let's use Tyree Jackson as an example as to how you can approach the scouting process with players that you don't think, or at least uh, I think that um, – the general consensus out there was the Bills are not looking for a quarterback. Uh, they have Josh Allen. Their quarterback room is uh, a lot different today than it was at the start of last season. It's a lot more set. Um, and Tyree Jackson, people were projecting him as a mid-round pick whether for whatever reason that he slid. But what kind of reminder is this for you and your scouts that when you're out there taking a look at these prospects – to not take for granted that we're not going to get this guy or don't let you, I guess what I'm asking is, is you need to do your due diligence on every player. Cause there is a chance 
that when it comes time to sign this guy as an undrafted free agent or he gets cut by another team or whatever, there are all kinds of players out there that at some point you think, we're not in on this guy, uh, he's not on our list really, and yet he ends up very much on your list and now he's on your team. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, we had him on our draft board. Anybody we're putting on our board, we're saying we're willing to select him at the value that we had him on the board. Now, every year, not every guy on your board gets selected. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if he was not a guy that we thought good enough, you know, to be on our board or at least be um, on our priority free agent list, we do have that, guys that are just off the seventh round, um, guys that you would really target at a position uh, for after the draft. But a lot of times what you want to do is you like to get you know, a sixth or seventh rounder as a priority free agent. Maybe they fell for whatever reason and you can you can get them. But, shoot, we got uh, um, Andrew Norwell. I think we had him in the fifth round when I was in Carolina on our board. He went undrafted, and we, we actually talked about him, but we didn't have like a seventh round, and we might not have had a sixth. I can't remember, but we talked about him, and we ended up going with another position. We recruited him hard, signed him after the draft, and a year ago in free agency, he was the highest-paid guard in the league. So, um, you know, we were fortunate to get him where we got him. And, shoot, in hindsight, we should have had him higher than the fifth round, but he he didn't get drafted. And um, So, no, you still you still have to be – if you got a guy on your board, then that's a guy you're willing to select at the value, you know, or, you know, ideally maybe even later than the value you have for him. Those are what you feel really good about. So this was a guy, again, that – was on our board to be selected if at the right value, and uh, he went undrafted. So we were we're excited to bring him in here and see what he's you know see what he's all about. We're in conversation with Buffalo Bills general manager Brandon Bean, and uh, just as a quick follow up, is that the highest graded guy that you have been around that you signed as uh, an undrafted rookie, a fifth round grade on a guy? No, oh. um, no, we had a, we had a fourth round grade on uh, Philly Brown. Um, I think it was at the maybe towards the later end of that year. We got him that same year. We got Andrew Norwell, um, and you know he worked out pretty good. He started for us in the Super Bowl. He had a big game in the in the NFC Championship versus Arizona. I think he had over 100 yards, maybe. But um, so no, sometimes guys fall for various reasons um, that are on your board, and you just you know sometimes there's positions there's deep there there's very deep. And so guys fall for that reason, or maybe a guy has been injured, or maybe he was playing at a school where he wasn't showcased as well. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons. I mean, look at Robert Foster and Levi Wallace here playing at Alabama. A lot of good players there. Sometimes they don't have the same opportunity as a guy playing at a school that's not, you know, doesn't recruit like like an Alabama or Clemson or a place like that. And in Tyree's case, he was an underclassman. Obviously, the number of underclassmen in the draft has increased pretty steadily. But he, his draft advisory grade was, I think, third round and beyond, which is obviously vague. I mean, from the third round undrafted, it's a pretty big window. So two-part question would be, A, how much of a role do teams, individual teams or GMs, play in grading the underclassmen uh, when they first decide to come out? And B, if you're kind of putting yourselves in one of those players' shoes, would you want a little bit more clarity between – uh, just getting a, a third round and beyond grade or, you know, getting a potential undrafted grade as, as Tyree was in this case. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard because you, there is a committee 
uh, and we're, we're responsible for certain parts of, of giving guys grades and things are divvied out, but you're just given ranges. You know, there's so much to be determined. I mean, these things are done in December and, and you know, early to early January. Um, most of these guys, you haven't even met them, spent any time with them, know how smart they are, know what their habits are like. I mean, you're, you have some of that, but you most likely never met them, uh, especially if they're an underclassman. The schools are trying to, most of the schools are trying to kind of keep their status down and hoping that they don't, you know, get too much, you know, their stock rising to where they'll come back for, you know, their senior year. So um, it's still very early in the process to really pinpoint where these guys are going to be. And when you're talking about quarterback, um, you know, we didn't do, you know, with Tyree what we did a year ago when we were heavily in the market. Um so I don't I don't know some of the reasons why he why he would have fell, um, but we did enough on him and feel you know he he's worth a shot definitely as an undrafted young man. And I think from the last time we talked, you might have been right after the draft, and since then you made a decision on Shaq Lawson uh, not to uh, exercise a fifth year option for next year. Can you just get into you know that decision and and kind of how you see him uh, fitting into the team this year? Yeah, it's a tough decision. Uh, Shaq is our kind of guy. He's really matured uh, from two years ago when I got here, and you know Sean had been here a little bit before that. But um, he's really bought in. He's invested. Uh, I'm proud of him. I really am of what he's done. Some people, when change comes, they don't necessarily handle it well. And and I, you know, I do think we asked him to do a lot of things that maybe were uncomfortable, whatever you want to call it, of changing and and growing. Uh, you know, as a young man, and he's he's done everything he, he's asked of, and you know, but there's also um, you know production and things like that, and I know he he wants more production as do we, and um, it's hard because that number is up there to it makes you think about it, and it was not an easy decision. I'll say that that's why we took it to the you know 23rd hour you know of the deal, but. Um, I can tell you, Shaq is a guy that I could still see being here in the future. Where uh, we can, you know, we could still negotiate with him at any point. Um, so we haven't closed that door as an option. But for now, he's he's going into his last year, just like other players on our team. And you know, that's probably the best I could explain it. Brandon, how would you handicap your receiver situation, and that includes your tight ends? What uh, now that we've gotten through the draft and free agency? Where are you with this, and, and how do you see these guys filling out the different roles? Yeah, you know, on paper, I think we've, we've improved it, but uh, the key phrase there is on paper. Nothing matters till you get out there. It's so early in the process uh, with these guys gelling, getting Josh, you know, back here and adding, you know, the, the John Browns, Cole Beasley, as you mentioned, tight end, uh, Tyler Croft, and, you know, obviously we added a couple rookies, tight ends. So, um, there's a lot of meshing and guys getting to know, you know, those guys don't even have the playbook yet, the, the rookies. Um, but, you know, Josh has now been able to get out there and throw with some of these guys. And, and then year two in the offense, you know, for, for him, for Robert Foster, for Zay, you know, all these guys that finished the year last year, it'll be year two. Um, Isaiah McKenzie, Victor Bolden did some stuff. So we got, we got a lot of guys. I like the competition and I like the vibe in the room. You know, I'm not in there, but I ask players, I ask coaches, and I think we got a guy, a lot of guys who are competing and really want the opportunity to make this club. And uh, I think it's going to be a fun group to watch, especially once we get up to St. John Fisher. 
in conversation with Buffalo Bills general manager Brandon Bean. Uh, let's uh, swing it to the backfield, Brandon, and uh, been the butt of some jokes, I think, because of LaShawn McCoy and Frank Gore and their age, and people take a look at it and say, huh, what are the Bills up to there in the backfield? Uh, you've, you've, you know what you have with LaShawn McCoy. What is it you've learned about Frank Gore since you've signed him, since he's been a part of the Bills, uh, whatever your recon uh, only takes you to a certain level when it comes to your scouting on guys. But now that he's been around, what would you say that uh, you've learned about Frank Gore that you didn't know before? Um, that he's confirmed what everybody says about him. Um, one of the truest pros you'll ever be about. And uh, guys have – he's not going to give a you know a big-time Kyle Williams-type speech, but this guy is in here every day taking care of his body, works his butt off in the weight room. He's, he sets an example of what it means to a pro, to be a pro. He's already, you know, and he'll rub off on Devin Singletary, I know, but he's already rubbing off some of the guys that were here, of how to be attentive in meetings, taking notes, asking the right questions. Um, he, I, I heard great things about him, and I, he, this is not the first time that I've tried to acquire Frank Gore, um, just for all these things that I just mentioned, and he is been nothing if anything it's even better uh he's been a lot of fun to be around and, and i can already tell the guys really like talking when i go down he's down in the train room a lot just uh he's still you know working on himself and you know like like lorenzo is an older guy they have to do more maintenance but he knows what he needs he knows what it takes to get ready and he's using his time wisely and when i go down there i see either staff or other players just feeding off of him and, and his energy how far back does your pursuit of him go? Um, it, he's just—he's been a guy that we've talked about before when he's been a free agent. But um, you know, we we even talked about him a year ago. He was uh, he was a free agent, um, but it didn't work, and things happen for a reason. And um, I'm excited that we were able to get him this year, and look forward to what he'll bring on and off the field. What do you? You've been asked this question a bunch, so I'm not even going to try to come up with some artful new way to ask it. I feel like it's redundant. I'm sorry if it is, but I think that is something that a lot of people are curious about. And maybe because of the draft you've, you've gotten with, uh, uh, you know, adding running backs uh, since, uh, since free agency, what do you see his role being on Sunday afternoons? Um, I see him competing to be the I mean I mean the guy's been a starter he's done I mean he'll push LaShawn and LaShawn will have to be on his best or you know he he'll he'll compete I mean right now LaShawn is our starter that's how we see it but uh Frank is an accomplished back he's going to be a hall of famer and he's ready for whatever role we want him and that's what's great about him he listen he has the mindset that he's a starter and that's you're not going to ever take that from him as long as he plays in this league. I guarantee you, just talk to him. He is a confident man, and um, he's competing every day to be the starter. But he obviously knows he walked into the same room as LaShawn McCoy, and, and uh, those guys have a good rapport with one another. I think they push each other, and that was part of um, you know, a bonus of the, of the addition of Frank as well. These guys have worked out together down in South Florida some, and they were even working out this year before we signed Frank. And then same with Tim's question. I know you've probably been asked this 50 times, it seems like, at this point. But uh, Ziggy Ansah, there was a report this afternoon that he's – the Seahawks essentially are emerging as the front runners, but you guys are still interested. So 
what can you say about uh, your level of interest in, in him at this point? Yeah, I mean, we're still in talks with, with him and his agent, and everything's been very good. And, um, I, you know, all I'll say about reports is I don't buy into that garbage, um, especially when I consider, you know, where some of the sourcing comes from. But at, at the end of the day, um, he'll make his best decision for him, I have no doubt. He was a great young man when he came in to visit with us. It's been a while, um, and he's taken a couple visits since. But, um, again, I don't know every team that's in consideration you know, but uh, I do know we're we're in on it. We're still talking, and um, it's a big decision for him. He's he's been in one place. Uh, he was drafted by Detroit, and um, so I don't think he's taking the decision lightly. Brandon, I you're a busy guy, and uh, we'll wrap it up here. But uh, you bring up a, a question that I guess from a philosophical or a journalism standpoint, I find it fascinating. Um, and I know that you've been dealing with it, it seems like, this offseason uh, more frequently than in previous. So you, this is not your first time around the block, even though this was just your second draft with the Bills. You've been in this game for a long time. But with the Marquette King report and the Antonio Bryant report, or a- Antonio Brown report. Oh, we got uh, Antonio Bryant, too? Cool. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's throw that. I, I, I keep butchering these names. I, I'm getting to an age, an age where I'm, I, I'm, I'm messing, them all, messing them all up. I'll have you with Tony Romo here before the end of the call. Uh, But what is it about this, the dance that you have to do, or not not the dance, but I mean, this this offseason has been a weird one in terms of the Bills being thrown around pretty willy-nilly in terms of reports. And it's something that when I first got my job at ESPN and I started really paying attention to uh, how the league is covered on a national basis, not just on the local front, but... It always seemed to me, and this goes back to when Buddy Nix was general manager and even before that, the Bills were always seemed to be th- thrown in on, on rumors. Like it was the, the, the mystery team or it was the extra team for leverage. And I don't know if people thought that the local Buffalo media would never follow up on it. Maybe things have changed. But anyways, it just seemed like a strange year uh, or a frustrating year from your end on having to address uh, rumors and bogus reports. How how have you processed that facet of, of your job? Uh, this might be your best question yet. Um, <laughs> I don't know how long we got. When's your show in? Six o'clock. We got uh, and and you know what? We don't have sponsors, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> We're good. Okay. Well, you know, it goes back to me. You know, you guys know the industry way better than I know it. But uh, I'm a man of my word. I'm a man of ethics and. I'm just, I'm passionate about this, like single source reporting, which I know goes on all the way out, you know, nationally is something that's very frustrating, not only for me, but a lot of people in my position. And that's where it gets, you know, that's where it gets crazy. That's where all this stuff generally comes from, these rumors and these links to us, but it happens other places. You'll probably notice it here, but, um, you know, after the Antonio Brown situation, I can't tell you how many people and, and even followed up at the league meetings are frustrated with, um, you know, you figured out some of the common places that it's coming from. And I would hope that people in y'all's position understand when something comes from certain people that have been wrong more than they're right, maybe you take that into consideration because I can't answer to everything. And it is frustrating because my phone blows up or Derek Boyko's phone blows up and we can't say, you know, 
no to yes to every single thing, or we give away what we're trying to do. Certain things need to be kept secretive until we're ready to announce it or until it's done deal. And that's probably what's frustrating the most. And, you you know, before we get on air, I heard you're, to the report that you were talking about. And, um, listen, I don't know where it came from, so maybe it is fact. I don't know, but it's from the people I talk to that represent, they don't say it is fact. So uh, time will tell on that one. But, um, you know, certain people have been wrong more than they're right, and I think it's a poor job that they've done. I think too, Brandon. It, it, this is it's fascinating to me because it, it, because there's a belief that this is just sports, but there is a standard that you ca- have to reach when you're writing about pretty much anything as a journalist. Especially, let's take uh, whether it's local politics, national uh, government, whatever. Um, is that one source or an anonymous source isn't enough? But when it comes to sports, that is the standard. It's because they want it, and uh, they're trying to be fast. They want to beat uh, the competition in terms of uh, dealing in leverage, or I'm sorry, and dealing in uh, information. That's their currency. And so you get one source, and that seems to be okay when it comes to sports journalism, which it shouldn't be. Uh, so that's where you're dealing with constantly putting out all these fires uh, with people just running with one little thing they heard because, well, I, I don't need to double-check it. It's it, And I think it's the belief that, well, what's the big deal? It's just sports. It's not like I'm uh, reporting on the White House uh, or, or what's going on in Iraq. So, But this is your livelihood, and we can joke about this, and we have it at the owners' meetings, all the different rumors that I was hearing, and I was kind of peppering you with that, and we got a good chuckle out of it. But um, this is people's life. This is your career. This is what you do for a living, and there are a bunch of people in your building at One Bill's Drive that you are responsible for, and there are millions of dollars at stake. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, again, back to the Antonio Brown situation, you know, that thing happened at 1140 at night, and, you know, that been a lot of people out of shape, and it sent, you know, emotions in a lot of different ways for a lot of people that it didn't need to, and it was single-source reporting, and, you you know, I'm looking at this report that came out that says the Seahawks have emerged as the front runner to sign star free agent Ziggy Anza. Okay, so if he doesn't sign with the Seahawks, well, I never said he was signing there. I just said he was the front runner, the easy out. And it doesn't matter if it's single source, double source, triple source, whatever it is. Like, I don't know. I'm just, uh, that's not how I, I was raised. I was raised to do business the right way, and I don't think that's the way it is. But, listen, that's the world we're in. You you just went through it. Um, I'll, I treat people with respect that treat me with respect, and, you know, that's that's the way I'm going to do business. Well, I'm glad that you uh, you appreciate people who do it the right way. And uh, But before you go, I have to run a stat past you. I know you're okay. well, well, and then we can you can tell me what you think about the NBA finals. Uh, you want to give me a prediction on that. But here's a great stat. I know you're a baseball guy, or at least you love all sports. Joey Gallo became the first player in major league history to hit 100 home runs before he has 100 singles. The next closest, he only, he has only 93 singles in his career, but he already has 100 home runs. Wow. Next closest is Russell Brannion. When he hit 100 home runs, he had 172 singles. What do you make wow. of how baseball is changing here? Because I bet you Joey Gallo will not be the only player in Major League history to hit a home hundred home runs before he has a hundred singles. 
Yeah, that's odd. Um, I'm curious because I know baseball is really big into analytics. Uh, you know, it seems like a lot of their decision making is that. So I'm curious how that stacks up on the analytical models that all these guys run. Um, you know, it's such a it's such an analytical sport to me as much as any because everything is one on one. To me, it's one of the easiest sports to quantify analytically, but. Uh, I don't well, you know. have like Bryce Harper last year was considered one of the best players in the game, MVP. Yep. He's on the cover of the video game this year, and I think he hit 220. But yeah. he led the league in this, that, and the other when it comes to the power stats. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, um, it's interesting. Uh, and Harper was a great one, and he's the one that you know they were saying was going to make all that money, and he he ended up doing it. But uh, it seemed like forever before he actually signed for a guy to be such a big, big name. And, and just, and it was like people were down on him because he batted 220, but it still, he still made what? 330 million or whatever he got paid. Yeah. He plates a lot of runs. All right. Give me, uh, give me your uh, prediction for the NBA finals. <laughs> uh, well, it'd be, it'd be hard to go against uh, Golden State. I mean, I know, it's, what is it? 2-2 now? Yep. But uh, I think Durant, We'll, we'll carry them when they need to. So I still, my money is on them in the West. And, you know, Milwaukee's, you know, I still think, I still think Milwaukee's probably comes out of the East, but uh, I think at the end of the day, they're too veteran. They're too savvy. I think Golden State will do enough. They're not as good of a team this year for whatever reason. Um, but at the end of the day, if I had to put money, I'd still say Curry, Durant, and, um, uh, Clay. Last question for you, Brandon. I know that you're you're probably uh, your finger is hovering over the uh, hang up <laughs> hang up button. As a roster builder by trade, your thoughts on Golden State or any team in sports and building rosters like they have super teams, um, and of course they're they've shown that they are they can be beat. Uh, there's there, there's no perfect way to do it, but your thoughts on just that style of uh, putting together super rosters. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's it can be volatile, but I think what they did was they found three guys who are selfless, as selfless as you can be to be. Is you're talking about three all stars on one team, and and then you still got Draymond Green. I mean, he may be an all star too, but um, you're talking of Curry, Durant, and um, what's Clay's last name? Tom Simpson. Thompson, yeah, I was drawing a blank. But those three guys are as selfless as can be, and despite all the, you know, the status and the championships and all that, you never see one of them pointing, pointing fingers or anything like that. I can't say I've seen that anywhere else where somebody's not the king. Um, I mean, to me, it was LeBron and Wade and Bosh, but LeBron was still the king. Like, to me, I don't know who the king is out there, and uh, I think that matters, and that's that's probably the fascinating thing there versus I know other people are trying to probably imitate that, but I don't know if you'll find three guys that are as selfless and team first as those three guys are. Brandon Bean, thanks so much for joining us. Anything you want to say that I didn't ask you about? What time we get off? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm, uh, I'm good. Always good to catch up, Tim, Mike. Appreciate you guys having me on. You got All right. Thank, Thank you, you, Brandon. Good luck when okay. camp begins on Friday. Get everybody you out of there it. healthy. Thanks. All right, we're late to a break because Brandon Bean was so gracious with his time. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk uh, more about the NBA playoffs. 
We're going to get into the NHL situation. What's going on with the Buffalo Buttes? John Wara, the Associated Press, has been uh, on that story all day today, and we're going to talk to him about the Pagula's decision to sever ties with the Buffalo Buttes and what's going on with the National Women's Hockey League and more when we come back on the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270. The fan is that? That's not Motorhead, is it? It's the uh, lead singer of Motorhead with Dave Grohl, Taylor Hawkins, and someone else. It's uh, Sound City Players. It's, it's like a, it's Motor Foo. Yeah, it's like yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's on. It's crazy though. All right, I thought it sounded like Lemmy, but then it I. Okay. I don't know this. Yeah, it's a whole album of Dave Grohl, Trent, just these are a few. Trent Reznor, Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters, obviously Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails. And they bring in different people yeah. throughout the album. Um, Josh Homme, Queens of the Stone Age. It's it's absolutely fantastic. All right, I'll check that out. Corey Taylor, Slipknot, and Stone Sour, which, oh, he's unbelievable. Is there any anyway. insane clown posse? No, <laughs> no, not that crazy. Overlap? No? It's okay. a little bit of more talent. Sully this morning when I was on his show said that I am a music aficionado. I don't think that's the exact word he used, but I, I was ready to hang up the phone or just the. You know what? It's he, almost music like, aficionado. Right. We've had the the discussions are obnoxious. Right. It was uh, we, uh, there was a challenge one night of whether or not he could you could name a Led Zeppelin song. <laughs> And you, you failed. I don't know one. if I can right you now. You could that's not right. name one Led Zeppelin song. I'm thinking Pink Floyd. That's Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah, that's not Led Zeppelin. So, Dude. Yeah, I'm struggling here. Black Dog. But he's a music aficionado. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jerry I, likes to uh, compliment people. And right. I think the idea was Mike likes music, mm. but he, it came out as aficionado. <laughs> Jerry likes to compliment people? There was a song. There was a song at the bar one night. It was like an Elvis standard. Yeah. And he was like, who's this? <laughs> I couldn't name one Elvis song. Jesus. Blue suede shoes. There you go. There you go. Congratulations. Probably about the extent of it. You might not be able to relate on any kind of generational level with either LaShawn McCoy or Frank Gore. I mean, (laughs) whoever the Bills. LaShawn McCoy is two years older than I am, but Frank Gore, maybe. You act a lot younger than that. All right. Well, we both have kids. I bet you LaShawn, could LaShawn McCoy name a Led Zeppelin song? I don't know. <laughs> it's LaShawn Your next hey, locker room. Uh, it's like when you showed him the picture of Dave Wheat. Just walk around the locker room and ask if they can name one Led Zeppelin song. That's right. This is Led Zeppelin? Dude, come on. Honestly, I, I had no idea. No idea. Oh, my God. Brandon Be- Did Brandon Bean make news... Was it news or was it he just he said some interesting things? There's, Most interesting, there's it is news is a strong word, but in today's fantasy football society, it's a blurb. Yeah, it's a nugget. What would you say? say? It, what is this nugget? Well, I mean, when they drafted Devin Singletary, I think it was that night when Brandon Bean came out there and said, "When we roll the ball out there, that Lashawn McCoy is still the starter." and it, look, I think at some point, like it, it almost got to be like beyond believable the level of support that the Bills 
are maintaining for LaShawn McCoy. And not just that press conference, but going back towards the end of last year and even Sean McDermott as well. I, I, I think... Well, let's play it, what Brandon Bean said yes. uh, just a few minutes ago here on the Tim Graham Show. Um, I see him competing to be the I mean, I mean, the guy's been a starter. He's done... I mean, he'll push LaShawn, and LaShawn will have to be on his best, or, you know, he... He'll, he'll compete. I mean, right now, LaShawn is our starter. That's how we see it. But uh, Frank is an accomplished back. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. And he's ready for whatever role we want him. And that's what's great about him. He Listen, he has the mindset that he's a starter. And that's you're not going to ever take that from him as long as he plays in this league. All right, let's, let's play that again. Because I think that there was a point in there where I, it was yeah. almost that Brandon Bean was had to pull himself back. Like he was but he was talking. The question was what I asked him what he has learned about Frank Gore since signing him because he already has a league-wide reputation and I wanted to know what Brandon Bean now that Frank Gore is in the fold at One Bills Drive, maybe being around him a little bit more, having conversations with him and he talked about being a leader and then I followed that up with asking what Frank Gore's role would be on Sunday afternoons and there seems he was so he obviously I was setting him up to I mean he was going to say nice things about Frank Gore I mean but he um, I see him competing to be the I mean I mean the guy's been a starter he's done I mean he'll push LaShawn and LaShawn will have to be on his best or you know he He'll, he'll compete. I mean, right now, LaShawn is our starter. That's how we see LeSean it. LaShawn will have to be at his uh, best, Frank or... That's when you're transcribing. Dot, 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 or you do the double dash, or you do the parentheses pause. I mean, He stopped himself from saying yeah. Frank Gore, Frank Gore... Well, I think he stopped himself from saying that if... That it's possible that Frank Gore could outperform LaShawn McCoy. Right. And I think that has been apparent, or it's been obvious to most people, uh, ever since these moves were made, really, even going back to last season, I think I don't think any Bills fan realistically went into this offseason saying that 100% LaShawn McCoy was going to be the starter entering the season. I think once they signed Frank Gore and they signed T.J. Elden and they drafted Devin Singletary, that it became more apparent that LaShawn McCoy's footing was slipping, uh, if not more than that. So, like I said before... It was almost beyond believable, the level of support that they had for him. It made you think that there was an, another motive there, and I think a lot of people read into that as you know, they're trying to trade him or um, at least making it seem like they weren't just going to get rid of him and that somebody had to make them an offer um, and, and propping him up that way, which is smart. I mean, that's it, it's good negotiation. So that's you don't want to just say, hey, this guy's going to be available in a couple months. So. Um, from that perspective, it's smart. But again, I, th- I think it was a little bit over the top to the fact that it was uh, to the extent that it was unbelievable. So this seemed to be a little bit of a uh, a, a backpedal, shall we say, uh, on Brandon Bean's part. Just I guess acknowledging the possibility that Frank Gore or somebody else, for that matter. I mean, I don't think anybody really knows. Even Brian Dable, even Sean McDermott, even. Kelly Skipper, the running backs coach, really knows how this backfield is going to sort out. What's One, your prediction? Two, three, Do you four. have a prediction? I mean, you don't. You're just saying that the people who are there don't know. And now I'm asking you for a prediction. Right. But reading tea leaves. I totally. can see Frank Gore being the quote unquote number one back. I can see Devin Singletary contributing right away. I mean, you read Matt Fairburn's piece, and we heard from Brandon Bean after the draft of how much he liked Singletary 
watching him. As a game-breaker. And rookie running backs, that's an easier position to step right in in the league. I mean, not to belittle the the uh, the mental part of that that position, but we've seen a lot of rookie running backs come in right away, and there's you know probably a little bit less to learn in terms of the X's and O's of the offense, and just being out there and having a fresh set of legs can be uh, helpful or can ignite an offense. So I would not at all discount the possibility of Devin Singletary playing a role this year. I think he would complement Frank Gore nicely. That's not to say Singletary's really a receiving back. I, I don't think that's quite his game, but even TJ Yeldon, I mean, who's who knows? Like you get into training camp and LaShawn McCoy could look like the same guy that he's looked like the last two years and that's not good enough. Frank Gore could look like the guy he was last year, and that's that's good. Devin Singletary could look like he's a player who's ready. So uh, this is something I think you have to wait two, three, even four more months and just let it play out at running back. And again, I can see any possibility, one, two, three, Four. I mean, Sonoris Perry, I think, has a good chance to make the roster even as a special teamer. So, who knows? I, I think. Well, here's the thing too is, about running backs right. is it's this is not something that necessarily gets sorted out in preseason games in the four games, or let's say, let's put it this way, the three games, because neither Frank Gore nor LaShawn McCoy is going to play in a fourth preseason game, right? And uh, unless there's the an injury three. or something like that, but these guys at their age. You don't weigh these games, really. You don't weigh preseason games for a 30-year-old running back. I think because, you might have to this year. I think it's going to be different. But you talk about with, with veteran players like this, these games are kind of throwaways because you say, like you do with um, um, veteran uh, practice, veteran days off in right. practice and I, all this stuff. You, like, you, don't, you can't just say, all right, uh, whoever does better in the preseason games is how will right. be how we determine our depth it chart or our reps because normally a guy of LaShawn McCoy or Frank Gore's age, mm-hmm. their vintage, right? You let them play into the season. You know, like all right, we we're going to worry about you week one. We're not going to worry about you preseason game two. We're going to worry. We want you to be ready. You know, to be hitting full stride week two, week three. You know that that's how players with that kind of mileage get addressed normally. So if you are going to factor in training camp and preseason, you're you're not going to be running them hard. You're not going to run these guys as though, hey, you better be ready to go like you're 26. It's a good point. Because we're going to put you to the same standards as Devin Singletary or TJ Yeldon. They're not to that standard. They They get time to slowly work their way into it. Well, they get days off. Again, will that luxury be afforded to them this year? It may even sounds be. like it'll be afforded to Frank Gore. They're talking what I was about say. the it might be more to Frank Gore and, than yeah. it will be to LaShawn McCoy. I think if LaShawn McCoy gets the sense that his status as being the guy, and I think he takes that very seriously, like he he knows he's the guy, he wants to be the guy. If he feels like that's in jeopardy, then he might want to be out there those preseason games, getting his carries and, and trying to prove that he still has it. It's going to be a weird dynamic um, because it's not like Kyle Williams last year when he's in camp and he's getting a day off every three days or Lorenzo Alexander. Like You don't need to worry about those guys. Right. You know they're going to be starters. You know who they are. In this case, I think you know who they are, but you don't know what their role is going to be. You don't know if, there's, if they're going to be on the team. So how do you handle that? And if you do make it a situation where it's a true competition, one, two, three, four, and any guy could rise to the top, and you're running Frank Gore and LaShawn McCoy, 
are they going to have enough in the tank in October, November, December if you ran them so hard in August and September? That's a good point. Interesting conversation. It's one of, I think, the more interesting conversations of the offseason. We don't have to talk about whether or not Josh Allen is ready, um, who the starting quarterback should be. We're not going to be talking about Nathan Peterman or anything like that. But what we are going to be talking about is what's going on in this Bills backfield. It's going to be a topic all throughout the summer, I think probably until opening day or whenever that depth chart is revealed. Yes. And whoever we see taking the first snap on Sunday afternoon of the, of the uh, season opener. All right, uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, the NBA. We're going to talk about uh, tonight's Game 7, Colorado and San Jose uh, for the right to face St. Louis. Is St. Yes. Louis the most uninspiring or least interesting team in big league sports, St. Louis Blues? What what has this franchise ever done? Yeah, Brett Hull played for him for a little bit, but what is this the least pedigreed team in the big four sports can we come up with a better one buffalo sabers well at least they had dominic hashik you know they've made it to the finals they've i mean st louis has had some deep runs in the in the stanley cup but i i it's tough i mean st louis has no history I can think of some NBA teams, but they're newer. New Orleans, Charlotte. Milwaukee at least had Lou Alcindor. I mean, Milwaukee is a pretty dull. All right, we're going to get into that. We're going to talk about that uh, when we come back uh, on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. So you're telling me there's a chance. On Twitter at 1270TheFan. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Tune in radio and sportsradio1270.com. And on the Fans app. I missed my cue. <laughs> Sitting here waiting for Bobby to point at me. No, you did. <laughs> Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. All new bumper music today? Oh, yeah. Have we had a repeat of anything that has no. ever been played on the show before? Not so far, no. And I'm trying to work on that. You should see my library building that baby up. Well, I'm glad it's you call it a library, not a library. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get into that. Your prickly library. Yeah. What are we vaping today, Bob? Uh, today it's um, it's unfortunately a mix of my favorite prickle berry, and I also have a little bit of uh, cherry limeade, which is a new one. Less nicotine. Oh. I've been getting a little bit of a headache, so I don't uh, I don't like that. <laughs> You've been getting too much nicotine. I hope it's not from the nicotine, but it's been uh, yeah. I get a little nauseous here and there. So I like withdrawal or no 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 like if you from having it yeah you you do puff it a little bit too much, then you go like you get sick. Ugh. I don't like that. Certainly not. <laughs> so the St. Louis Blues, in their first three years of existence, which I think kind of makes your eyes roll at the National Hockey League. Yeah. 
St. Louis Blues went to the Stanley Cup final each of its three first years in the league. In fact, their maiden voyage in 67-68 made it to the conference or made it to the Stanley Cup final despite a losing regular season record of 27-31 and 16. So they lost wow. in the Stanley Cup final each of their first three years. Scotty Bowman was their coach. So they is their they do have some historical significance. Some, but not much. My Worcester Ice Cats days as a fan, they were a St. Louis Blues AHL affiliate, so I saw some of their oh. their young talent. Back you go in the to day. hockeyreference.com where they will use metrics and come up with the top twelve players in St. Louis Blues history. Brett Hull, of course, is number one. Right. Al McKinnis, number two. Alex Petrolan- Peter. Um, I always have trouble with this. Yeah, it's a weird one. Alex Petrangelo uh, is number three. Chris Pronger, number four. Oh, Bernie Federko, number five. Grant Fear. No, Grant Fear is not on this list. I don't think he got drafted by them. Curtis Joseph is number seven, but number six is Pavel Dimitra. Oh, who was dead. a fine player? Yes, he died in uh, the Russian plane crash. Yeah, who was a fine player, but not great by any stretch. But according to this, I mean, he was never an All Star. Right. Never led the league in anything. He was a twenty goal scorer one, two, three, four times. Never scored more than twenty five goals in a season. Uh, and he. He, was a th- he played in three All-Star games, but that doesn't make him an All-Star based on NHL standards. NHL All-Stars are based on what happens at the end of the year. So, um, anyways, played in three All-Star games, um, won the Lady Bing in 2000. But uh, top 10 in points three times in his career. I mean, fine career. Decent. Decent player. But, I mean, if he is your... The sixth greatest player in franchise history. And then there are a lot of current players on that list, too. So, Who is the sixth greatest player in Buffalo Sabres history, according to HockeyReference.com? All right, let's take a look at it. Let's see how Buffalo stacks up. Now, of course, Dominic Hasek is going to be number one. Gilbert Perot, Ryan Miller, uh, Phil Housley. These are all Hall of – well, uh, Ryan Miller's not a Hall of Famer, but he won the Vezina, right? Where does mm-hmm. Phil Housley Did he win a Vezina? Yeah. 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 Uh, Phil Housley's in the Hall of Fame. Rick Martin is number five. Bill Height is number six. So that's your number a six. A defenseman. But Mike Ramsey, number seven. Yeah, it's just uh, – you know, Dave Anderchuk is number eight. He's a Hall of Famer. Thomas Vanek's number 10. Oof. Jason Pominville, number 11. Oof. Yeah, <laughs> but I would say that uh, uh, I would know, say glass that glass houses Sa- there. No, I don't think it's glass houses. The Sabers pro- have a lot of Hall of Famers, especially uh, goaltenders. Uh, Alexander Mogilny doesn't even rate uh, on their top twelve here. Is for that the like a uh, Pat Lafontaine? Right. So that's like a, a value metric that they put. Yeah, on it's the a players. value. It's exactly right. They have that for the NFL page too. So I would say that the Sabres, when it comes to putting together a roster of 
big names, you would probably have more, way more Sabres. The Blues on your have list. way more Hall of Famers in their history, at least according to the Wikipedia page and who they're they? linked to. Now, some of them are, you know, Dale Howardchuk, Grant Fuhr, both teams, but their list is about thirty players, and the Sabres is more like fifteen to twenty. All right, I'd like from to this accounting. That. We're going to have to talk about this. All right, sounds like an Elmo's game. I think it sounds. Yeah, call in if you think if you want to state the case for the uh, St. Louis Blues being a more steeped franchise than the Buffalo Sabers. We'll get into that some more when we come back after this. We're going to have uh, more Lashawn McCoy, Frank Gore talk based on uh, some comments made by Brandon Bean uh, during the first hour of the Tim Graham Show. We're going to talk to John War of the Associated Press and uh, much, much more on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The fan. I know I'm gonna get pimped. They gonna pimp me. Yonk. I love sausage. Shocking, dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, the Tim Graham show. I did old uh, some poll uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me, Sohonia. Here we go. On Twitter at twelve seventy the fan, taking your calls at two seventy twelve seventy. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Little citizen game. This is a fun song. I know. It makes me laugh. It makes me smile when I hear it. It's nonsensical. It's a Korean band that I think has uh, wrote the lyrics with the help of a Korean to English dictionary. Oh, so it's... Yeah, it's like a poor translation. Kind of reminds me of when the Scorpions. Uh, Scorpions was that was my big band when I was in high school. I saw them in concert four or five times. Really? Big metal band. Oh yeah. Wow. But their lyrics left something to be desired. Yeah. Because they're yeah. German. Any song in particular that was weird? Um, just everything was just a little off. Like straight. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't off like Rush lyrics being yes. off though. Like where it wasn't like, Dungeons and Dragons about? and all this kind yeah. of mystical, crazy, wacky stuff. It was just a little off. Like the words that were used would not be quite the right word. <laughs> so the St. Louis Blues, I count uh, NHL.com has them with 20, 22 Hall of Famers. Cool. But it also counts Martin Brodeur, Paul Correa, Doug Gilmore's on there. He's also a Sabres Hall of Famer. Bill Housley, Sabres Hall of Famer. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, had You're dang right. It's, it, 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 it's, it's disappointing. <clears throat> St. Louis Blues also count uh, Doug Harvey as a Hall of Famer. Of course, Harvey, uh, Montreal Canadiens, great. Dickie Moore, Glenn Hall, Jacques Plante. Eh. They're kind of rolling up Wayne Gretzky. They're kind of rolling up some... Uh, some names that didn't really make it there. Let's see what the Sabres are. How do the Sabres do? Sabres have some of those too, of course. Anyways. 
Brandon Bean was on the Tim Graham show earlier. We talked to him about the Buffalo Bills situation in the backfield and what might happen with Frank Gore, LaShawn McCoy, Sonoris Perry. I I give wouldn't me the discount other Sonoris Perry because TJ Yeldon Perry I'm missing the the rookie Devin Singletary. Um, Devin Singletary. You got to throw that one in. Sonoris Perry plays special teams. He sure does. He's the a core four special teamer. He can return kicks. Right. He's a tackle. He has led teams in special teams tackles in right. the past. He was with Chicago and Miami. Third most uh, special team snaps last year for the Dolphins. I mean, Frank Gore's not going to play special teams. TJ Eldon probably won't. I mean, LaShawn McCoy sure as hell won't. So that makes Sonoris Perry, to me, a strong bet to make the roster. I mean, in the same role that they've had Taiwan Jones on this roster and a lot of teams have that third or fourth running back as a special teams guy. And then you add Devin Singletary in, um, and, and suddenly the roster spots are drying up. If you only keep three running backs and one of them's Perry and one of them's Singletary, then who's the other one? If you keep four running backs, maybe you have a little bit more room to keep two out of Yeldon, McCoy, and Gore, but you're not keeping all of them. Who's the odd man out? Are you going to cut the 25-year-old and, and keep LaShawn McCoy for another year? That's the question. I mean, Robbie and, Dunn on Twitter, at Spruce Goose 22, he tweets uh, on the conversation. He raises a good point. Ooh. It's all about who performs better on first down, as Shady consistently lost yards last year, putting us in a hole. If Gore can consistently pick up three to five yards on first down, McCoy's role will be somewhat limited. And that's true. You don't want to put Josh Allen behind the sticks, as they say, on second down and create second and third and long situations. And that's one of the things that LaShawn McCoy was doing last year. Now, the offensive line's a lot better, and you can say, well, LaShawn McCoy's going to be more prone to, A, hit the hole, uh, because the hole will be there that maybe wasn't there last year, now that the Bills have totally revamped that offensive line. Or the offensive line will be able to hold the defense off for that extra half second when LaShawn McCoy tries to cut and go the other way. He wasn't defenses were closing on him too quickly last year. But Frank Gore is a plow ahead runner. He is you know what Chris Chris Ivory was last year. Chris Ivory wasn't going to get you the twelve yard run, but he also wasn't going to put you at second and nine. Right. Or second and eleven. Also, if we're talking about only, you know, first down or obvious running downs Frank Gore fits into a group of running backs a lot easier than LaShawn McCoy, both his contract and the player. So unless LaShawn McCoy is going to be carrying the ball 300 times and being the focal point of the offense, I don't see how he fits into right. this depth chart anyway. third down back? I mean, maybe that's Singletary's role. Again, I think Singletary probably has something to prove as far as um, receiving out of the backfield. But your third down guy is also a, a blocker too. I mean, if you're trying to – make a seven-step drop on third down and have Josh Allen throw to Robert Foster or John Brown down the field, and you're going to need a running back blocking in the backfield, and who's going to be the best guy at that? Is it LaShawn McCoy or somebody else? So all these things will factor into it. As I said before, you could figure out one, two, three, four, throw names in a hat right now, and I don't think anybody really knows. Um, so that's that's the storyline. I mean, you talk about my job and national storylines. I you know, I was on Sirius the other night, and that's that's what they want to know. They want to know how this backfield shakes out. That's that's uh, at the top of the minds of a lot of people around the country, and they want to know 
does LaShawn McCoy have a, a role on this team? Is he going to be on the team? Is he going to be the starter? Let's talk about this way, because I think it's interesting. How much of this is and listen to the question before you answer because I know what you're you're gonna and you're gonna jump on the first part. Mm-hmm. How much of it is fantasy driven versus actual bills significance driven? Meaning does it matter how much does it matter in the bills wins and losses standpoint versus fantasy football? How much does what matter? Just the how what happens with Frank Gore and LaShawn in the backfield. To you're talking to people nationally? Where you're talking to people, yeah. What's in the relevance? Chitawaga. No, the relevance of the story nationally. Fantasy, absolutely fantasy. I mean, that was a fantasy show that I was on. A serious, no, I see. fantasy. So, yeah, I mean, that's... but do you think it matters to me? I think it'll sort itself out. I don't really care. And Frank Gore, if whatever he adds from a leadership standpoint, or you know, if uh, if there is no lead back. That you're going to draft sure on, on your fantasy. Right. That I don't know. I think the Bills will be able to sort through their running back situation, and it's not going to matter in the win-loss column how much uh, Devin Singletary is touching the oh, ball versus, uh, right. you know, it's going to, it's all going to be and we can, we six can, of one, half dozen of another. And we They're going to get their touches. They're going to get their yards. I don't think we're going to look at it in week seven and say, oh my Lord, look how out of whack the Bills' yards per carry is compared to... Well, (laughs) Because it was. Well, right, but because of the offensive line, too. That's a lot of it. I mean... I don't. It was a lot of it. I don't know if it was all of it. I was making a prediction. I say that we're not going to look at it in week seven and say, holy smokes, this is so This running game sucks. Fire Brian Dable. I mean, a lot of people... What if this scenario is LaShawn McCoy's traded or released or he's not on the team? Six weeks into the season, the Bills are struggling to run the ball. There'll be a lot of second guessing, especially from the fan base, as to whether you just uh, you know got rid of the most talented running back on the team. Maybe, and if he does something I somewhere th- else, yeah, I think it's gonna ha- McCoy's gonna have to go somewhere and do something else yeah. in that scenario because people can just look back on last year, like uh, the tweeter, uh, the guy I just met, Robbie Dunn, uh, the uh, here on Twitter made the point is that McCoy was awful last year, and so is McCoy. He's going to have to demonstrate somewhere else that he is able to do it in that circumstance that you just m- drew up. Joe. He's also turned pretty much every NFL fan against him with his Avengers spoiler tweet. <laughs> yeah. he's maybe he's radioactive. Nobody. I was able him. to steer clear of it until I saw it. What did he say? Actually, oh he, no, no, don't say. Wait, I'm sorry. Don't do that. He just tweeted about the end of the movie and what happened at the end of the I movie. See. And like I said when we were on the show last week, is that I, a significant event, Mike? What? When you went to go see it, was that a significant event? What happened at the end? I didn't see it. Oh, I thought he you said it. you did. No. I did. I saw it. <laughs> right. I know, I'm just kidding. But anyway, to get back to what we're talking about, what's going to affect wins and losses? I mean, everybody has – Bill's fans are up in arms over the, the Vegas line, which look at any sports book right now, and they're at six and a half wins over under. I mean, that's basically where they're at. And what's affecting that is not the running game or the defense or the offensive line. It's the quarterback. I mean, quarterbacks are going to affect – Vegas probably more than anything else, individual game lines and the season lines as well. And that is going to be the bigger story. I think what really affects that line is reputations. Right. It's it's all reputation. It's just what can what is the average mainstream sports fan going to look at it and say, Yeah, I can picture the Bills winning. But the average mainstream sports fan is going to say the Bills and then they're clicking their head, they're going to say Josh Allen. 
I mean, that's that's a pretty close association, and I think the reputation outside of Buffalo of Josh Allen is not very good. It's much better here than it is outside of this city. I don't see a lot of people ragging on Josh Allen. I oh, see it yeah. as being pretty neutral. Yeah. Well, I don't. The I only don't even... the people who've been really big or who've been really anti Josh Allen are the people who were when he was drafted, and they're kind of sticking with well, their take on how well he on on his projection coming out of Wyoming. There's some analytic zealots that are very down on him him. because of the completion percentage and the accuracy of his passes target throws and in your defense mike too it's not so much that people don't like him they just rank him lower than the other three i just but i think there's there are a lot of fans out there also who are factoring in all the other (laughs) mitigating circumstances such as and mark on had a story in the buffalo news yesterday regarding all the drops right Uh, he had the second highest rate of dropped passes among any starting quarterback in the NFL behind only Blake Bortles. Um, so then there's that. His receivers weren't really helping him out. His offensive line wasn't necessarily helping him out. So I think that there is a, you know, it takes a village aspect to the Bills offense. And we're going to see this year, I think, uh, we have a much better idea of what Josh Allen can do. And I'm willing to you know, let uh, let things play out, see how, how he's I'm, – I'm not – I've never been one to say he's no good – there were people who had that reputation or that um, opinion from the second he decided to enter the NFL draft. Um, I'm still in a wait and see mode. I'm also not sold 100 percent on him, but I I'm leaning more towards I think he's going to be okay. Um, then I'm closer to that than right. he's going to be a failure. Um, but I'm also not saying he's going to be a superstar either. Um, but that's the biggest storyline, I guess, was my original point. I, yeah, that's what's going to affect everything the most. And I but mean, not an off-season storyline, really. Well, I think part of it's going to be how do they treat him? Because there was, quietly at the end of last year, you're hearing from Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott about how they wanted him to take more of what's in front of him and not try to be the hero as much. And they used different wordings and different ways of expressing that, but essentially they were saying – you know, he's got to tone it down a little bit uh, with, A, the running, and, B, some of the, the deep passing where he's <clears throat> giving up shorter passes in the process. So if this offense isn't clicking early in the year, again, maybe that's not offseason storyline, but a couple games into the year, if they're one and two or whatever, and John Brown has four catches, Robert Foster has one catch, like there's going to be a talk about, do fans want him to open it up? You know, they want this big, explosive, deep ball game now that they have this offensive line that can protect him for seven-step drops? Or is it the more control we want Josh Allen to play more within himself and stop running the ball so much, uh, check it down to Cole Beasley, check it down to Tyler Croft? What's what's going to be the identity of, of this offense and how are – the Bills, in terms of Sean McDermott and Brandon and uh, Brian Dayball, going to try to control that. What are they going to be telling him and coaching him, or are they just going to say, "Hey, go out there and let it loose"? I'm not sure it's going to be the latter. I, I think it's going to be a more controlled offense if they can get that to happen. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk to John Warrow of the Associated Press. He has been reporting on the Pagulas and their decision to sever ties with the Buttes. Uh, of the National Women's Hockey League. There are some labor issues at play, uh, but that team is, or excuse me, uh, that league is teetering 
uh, much as the Canadian Women's Hockey League did, which folded uh, recently. Uh, the National Women's Hockey League, which was poised to maybe take over, and there was considering um, expansion to Toronto and Montreal even. Well, the Pagulas have pulled out uh, amid uh, labor issues. Uh, we're going to get into what this means uh, with John Wara, the Associated Press, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I really hear voices in my head. Yes, we all hear voices in our head. I can hear the voices in my head again. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. And on The Fan's app. Free to download in the App Store. Now back to the Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Here with my co-host Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein and Bronstein, your sports journalism injury attorneys. Bobby Rosati, diddle in the knobs. Been some news in the women's hockey world, and uh, it affects what's going on here in Buffalo. Pagula Sports and Entertainment announcing today that it is withdrawing its association, severing ties with the Buffalo Buttes of the National Women's Hockey League, a league that has five teams and had been considering expansion to Toronto and Montreal in light of the Canadian Women's Hockey League folding recently. That seemed to shift the power to the National Women's Hockey League, but there have been some labor issues uh, gurgling not below the surface. It's been actually quite out front. Everybody's been uh, uh, roiling, as it were. So John Warrow has been reporting on this today. John Warrow, the Associated Press, friend of the show. He had uh, some scoopage earlier today about this. John, now, yes. there have been some hockey fans here in town uh, or around the world, really, that are interested in women's hockey, but maybe paying just uh, passive uh, or a passing attention to really what's going on until really it affects them. And now that seems to be the case, especially here in Western New York and, and a domino that may affect the entire National Women's Hockey League. But can you give us a primer on really what is going on here um, what's at play from a league standpoint and what the Pagula's decision today, uh, what ripple effect that has with the Buffalo Buttes and the league? I mean, it, essentially this has been a discussion a long time in coming without, without getting into all the inside baseball, so to speak. Um, you credit Danny Ryland, who founded the NWHL as, as bringing, establishing the first, you know, sa- um, you know, the first league that paid, women players an actual salary the CWHL, which was founded in 2007 never started paying never they, they they paid players a stipend 
the problem was the follow-through and with what Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner, has told me is that the, the, the economic models of both leagues just don't work as far as the NHL is concerned. And that's now bearing itself out. The CWHL, which folded, uh, was a not-for-profit league and was limited by Canadian tax laws and as to how much it could pay its players. And then the NWHL was a private investor-backed league, which relies on people. It's essentially a startup. And once it started bleeding money in the second year, it cut players' salaries in half, which really disillusioned a lot of players into, into seeing, um, feeling that they were being treated unfairly and that they saw that the private investment, investor-backed model just didn't work, which leads us to today. And in, in a long story short, when the player, when the Pagulas took over ownership of the Buttes in December 2017 and really started you know, putting their resources into this team, players began realizing that there is a better option out there. Um, I spoke with Emily Falzer, who's a you know local Buffalo from Getzville on the uh, women's national team player, and she says here's here's an interesting disparity between what they got in Buffalo and what other teams in the NWHL didn't get. They got stick tape, and it was paid for them by the by, provided them by the team. They got pre-game snacks. They got pre pre-practice snacks, and this was something that wasn't that that other teams did not get. Um, so there was an attention to detail on the Pagulas part that was not there from other. Uh, you just other teams just couldn't pay for them because they were controlled by the NWHL. And so when they see this disparity, they know there's something better out there, which kind of ties in what the players did last week in pledging not to play in North America because they want something better, because they can see it's out there. We're in conversation with John War of the Associated Press talking about the Buffalo Buttes, uh, the Pagulas uh, disassociating with them, and uh, what this means for the National Women's Hockey League. John, can you, um, and I know that labor talk is not the most riveting version yeah. of sports chatter, but the idea that the National Women's Hockey League is on the verge or seems to be on the verge of some sort of uh, strike or sit-out or whatever it was, how, what was going to happen there or what may happen there? And it, was that enough to, for the Pagulas to say, all right, we, we don't want to be a part of that. Uh, we'll, we'll let it sort itself out? I mean, where are we with, from that standpoint? That was developing. The Pagula's decision was the, was developing before the players made their pledge. They lost money on this league, um, and they also saw they also saw the disparities between what they were doing and what the league was doing. Um, what would surprise them, I'm told, is that you know you know the league didn't even provide game notes for the media or you know you know or or sponsorship deals or or a lot of things that the league wasn't providing. The, the Bagulas were. So they were a little disillusioned with how professionally run this league was. And when the players began, started talking about pledging not to play, the, you know, as I was told, the Bagulas aren't interested in running what they would call a beer league team next year because they would be without some of the more high profile players, you know, playing. Shannon Sabatos, the Canadian national team goalie, Emily Falzer, U.S. national team gold medalist. Um, you know, so they're not interested in, in, in supporting a team that w would really be filled out with lesser known talent. Um, and that's not a 
disparagement against you know some of the players who are coming out of uh, out of the colleges, but knowing what they faced, they didn't want to be seen as supporting that as well. John, uh, what do you? What kind of future does women's professional hockey have, do you think? And this is obviously growing pains, yeah. and it sounded, uh, not even sounded, this was two different leagues trying to throw something together and, and fill a void. There are fans out there who want to watch it. Uh, the uh, the White Caps uh, had sold out all of their games. The Buffalo Buttes drew about 1,000, which seemed to be satisfactory uh, in terms of uh, interest and making it worthwhile. Uh, where do you think this all ends up? I I think, and I, and I did speak to Val Ackerman. She's now the Big East um, commissioner. Um, in 2011, Gary Bettman went to Val, who was uh, 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 played a huge role in developing the uh, in establishing the WNBA, and so he leaned on her expertise. And Val actually said she she did a study for the for, for Bettman in the NHL back in 2011. But Val told me that she believes that, you know, there is a niche for women's hockey. It's not going to be profitable from the get-go. It may not be profitable for a, for, for a long time. But what it needs is a sustainable backer, and that's where you see the NHL and having that, that brand name, you know, backing the players where it provides stability um, in, in, in growing the women's game. It's going to be a niche sport. It's going to be limited to hockey markets in the Northeast, Minnesota, you know, north of the border. Um, but there is potential there to establish a women's game, but it needs to be, you, you, you can't have a league like the NWHL did uh, in promising one thing and then a month into the second season slashing salaries in half. Um, and as Gary Bettman has put it, you know, once both leagues are out of the picture, should both leagues leave the picture, the NHL will consider stepping in uh, but the NHL wants a clean slate. John, uh, and talking to John War, the Associated Press here, uh, John, um, you know, the NBA and the NHL have a lot in common, uh, including uh, the commissioner of the National Hockey League, Gary Bettman, uh, formerly being in the NBA League offices. And right. they've tried to replicate as much as you can because the NBA is very successful. Uh, they both play the same type of year. They share a lot of the same arenas, 82-game schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Um, with the WNBA uh, and the NBA's backing of it, how much has the NHL looked or tried to borrow and see if that concept, how that might work for them in terms of how they want to roll this out? And, and like you say, and, and we've been talking about here, the, Can the Canadian Women's Hockey League having folded, the National Women's Hockey League being on the ropes, having two different leagues, it's better when it's streamlined, and let's let them work out their... Um, uh, their situations, then the NHL can can come in and and do its own thing. How much, I guess, is the NHL borrowing in terms of business philosophy or thought when it comes to what the NBA has done with its women's game? I, I, I can see the models being very similar, um, and and they, the the the, the, uh, the Canadian teams in the Canadian Women's Hockey League, uh, be, it, be it Calgary, Toronto, and Montreal. Did have uh, limited, you know, I, I don't want to say partnerships, but but deals with with their with, with their women respective women's teams, where they would provide marketing, where they would provide some ticket options, um, and 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 you saw the same thing here in Buffalo uh, with the cross marketing of the Sabers and the Buttes. 
uh, where that was developing. So I, I do see them, them looking very closely at what the WNBA model is. John, before you go, a question that came up earlier in the show. Uh, I I can't think of another. And Jonah Bronstein, we were we've kind of been kicking it around a little bit. We haven't really dived into it. Can you come up with a more boring hmm. major league team than the St. Louis Blues? And I don't mean their current incarnation. I just mean in terms of t- the franchise history, um, what they've what kind of imprint they've made to its league in the history of the game. St. Louis Blue is going to the Western Conference Finals, uh, four wins away from playing for a Stanley Cup. And beyond Brett Hull and uh, guys like Gretzky passing through, I guess Al McInnes and you can have uh, whomever. But right. uh, can you – am I out of line on that? No, I, I – I, you know, they're right there. And, right Jonah there throw, I mean. and Jonah and Mike Rodak bring up, well, what about the Buffalo Sabres? Now, we're, of course, in Buffalo, so we're a little more – Exposed to guys like Hashik and uh, LaFontaine and Mogilny and the French Connection and all that stuff, but I mean, who st- who stacks up better, the Blues or the, the Sabers? I, I I mean, you you look back at you know Bobby Orr's iconic goal was against the St. Louis Blues in 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 um, you know back in the what was it nineteen seventy seventy one, but that's when essentially all the expansion teams made the playoffs, so it was easy for the Blues to get into the final. They made the uh, con- they made the Stanley Cup final their first three years in existence, including right. their first season in which they had a losing record. That's, that's, that's an that's, N- that's an NHL eye roller there. <laughs> Uh, so you'd have to say the Sabers because they. I mean, I mean, the, the Sabers were ahead of the Blues. I think just because of, you know, I mean, actually the Blues almost went out of business um, at one point. They actually didn't hold the draft. The Blues actually didn't draft one. So year did the Sabers? Because, <laughs> say they're bankrupt. Sa- right? Sabers did go bankrupt and <laughs> they did. had their owner taken away in handcuffs. Though, though that well, that that's well. So they 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 share that. But if you're looking at a comparison, I want to say the Minnesota Wild or the St. Louis Blues like. Yeah, but the, they're just there. Yeah, but and they're new, but they're so new too. So I would say I'd have to go with St. Louis. It's been around since the late '60s. The Blues, anyway. Right. The Wild, having been you know relatively recent. Yeah, how about I mean, this? Jose, I mean, and what, they almost fell into that basket. If not for the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team, which has had you know huh. tremendous history, but hey, St. Louis has lost an NFL team twice. They've lost two right. different NFL teams. Now that's a St. Louis criticism not a blues criticism but anyway i in watching the blues i found myself rooting for the blues last night because they don't have a history have they had an nba team yeah, well they, they, they had an aba team the mm. spirit oh, right. um, oh, st louis hawks oh i'm sorry right st louis hawks which um, i'm pretty sure come from the original buffalo team buffalo hawks might have been their name yeah well we'll look into oh, that during well, the they lost it break. is really the bottom line I find myself rooting for the Blues because they're so nondescript. I, I let's get them. Let's get some new blood. And, I mean, Hurricanes though probably fall into the same category. The Hurricanes well, have the won, Hurricanes a, Stanley won a Stanley Cup, but they're still Ooh. nondescript. I mean, they're not. There's no yeah. NHL pedigree there. The I would say the Carolina oh, Hurricanes, and then you have to go back to Hartford too. But I would say the Carolina Hurricanes because well, they've won the Stanley Cup, right? Rod In Carolina, Brindamore, I agree. Right. The so Whalers the have Cup history. finals twice. Yeah. But but then Brodak's probably just like unhappy because they left they left New England. That's right. It, there's like a weird nostalgia uh, back there for the the Whalers. Like people wear Whalers hats and jerseys that, around. That's kind of the cool thing is sure. the throwback hockey now. Right, actually, but it's like very I, specific. Actually, I will tell you Whalers. this because I, 
I covered I covered the Hart- Hartford Whalers, and every time they came into Vancouver, I was bored to death because that I mean you know the Hartford Whalers before they moved to Carolina might as well have been the St. Louis Blues in some ways. They at least had um, um, Gordy Howe. Yeah. yeah uh, yes, the the old Gordy Howe. Right. All right. Well, John, thanks for uh, for breaking things down for us with the Buffalo Buttes. What's going on there? It's. Uh, yeah, I think people are probably confused. It's a source of pride. People who are into hockey here in this town, at least whether they watched it or not, it was always cool that the Buttes were here in town, that they did well, that they they got uh, premier players. And whether people supported it or not, I think still people looked on it as, yeah, it's a pretty cool thing that, to have, and we're glad the Pagulas are behind it. But now it's uh, well, speaking the past tense, everything's but, in flux. Right, in flux. I, I don't rule out the Bagulas of uh, 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 the next iteration of women's pro hockey when it when it does come and there's a belief that it's going to be a when and not if I believe the Pagulas will be very much in, uh, much involved and the players I spoke to the Buttes players and I and, and they support what the Pagulas have done and they believe that they will be involved in the future of women's pro hockey in the next iteration. Thanks for talking about it with us, John. We'll see you no soon. No problem. Thanks for having me on. All right. Yep. John War the Associated Press. He's been all over it. Not just today, but he's been covering the, the women's hockey story uh, for months and months uh, for the Associated Press uh, and doing a great job of it. Uh, when we come back. Final segment. The final segment. Final segment. We're going to get into a little bit more of the tea leaves of the Buffalo Bills. I want to get uh, Jonah Bronstein's uh, handicapping of the remaining NBA playoffs, though. Not looking so good for Paul Pierce's uh, Celtics prediction. He's there. about to play his last game for the Celtics tonight. I think. <laughs> Kyrie Irving. I'm sorry. Right. But Kyrie Pierce Irving. had predicted that the series was over after the Celtics won game one. So they wouldn't win another game. Never lost. Yeah. And never lost. It's a tough one. I'm undefeated. Never lost. Tim Graham show no comes team. back after this on the Sports Radio 1270 The Fan Sports Network. Consent, Ernie. So it's uh, no issue for me. Taking your calls at 270 1270. Get into it after the hour when we have more time to uh, spread our legs a little bit. This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Quarterback for an NFL team this offseason. Chance to make a roster at 6'7", and that uh, 11-inch people talk about size and quarterbacks. Yeah, people, there are a lot out there who think that that's too big. There's no actually such a, thing. There's a you know, there's a sweet spot. There's a measure. It's there's a sweet spot for any measurement. Yeah, sure. Yeah, in fact, you talk about uh, say, oh, the bigger the better. Well, there is a size at one point where they're just not big enough, or they even too too big. They're yeah. too. <laughs> they're too big. I've they're, never heard too big, but people were saying that. I can't remember me. who it was. But here's here's just funny talking about um, sizes, the 11 inch <laughs> him. So I went back and I was looking to see what if he were to have been invited to the combine, where he would rake, uh, rate. And uh, uh, Tyree Jackson had the biggest <laughs> this year, ten and a quarter. Josh Allen had the biggest <laughs> in 2018 at ten and one eighth. Now Sefo Leofo, who was already retired, he was largest <laughs> ten and three quarters. I'm going backwards in terms of the biggest. <laughs> for quarterbacks at the combine. Totally ripped off. I know. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel's week in unnecessary censorship. It was too easy. And friend of the show, Jesse Cubanet. Right. 
who is a producer at Jimmy Kimmel, and that's uh, one of the things that he does is he tracks those down. Right. So, Jesse, if you're listening. <laughs> we could go We could go, uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Thank you for letting us uh, just totally steal your idea. I'm sure we're not the only ones. I'm sure no. it gets done quite a bit. Yeah. That's one of those things that when I saw it years and years ago, I thought how brilliant it was oh, yeah. that nobody else had come up with it sooner. Oh, yeah. They pixelate the... Uh, <laughs> They pixelate the mouth, too. So it's that just way. perfect. Yeah. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic. I saw a report today in the Buffalo News that The Athletic's growing. It's quite interesting. It was good to see uh, the local news uh, plug my, uh, my new out- my outfit where I work. Yeah. Help us drive some subscriptions. I think you'll get them. You got them now, right? Subscriptions? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But this yeah, it's been it's been a nice push. Oh, I'm sure. Guys are the Cuz the athletic really doesn't advertise. It's all social media driven. Right. So to have a story on buffalonews.com about the athletic. Mm-hmm. I was all for it. You should put a story on the athletic telling people to subscribe to the Buffalo News. It's only fair. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> We should cover that. We should have our own media guy. Subscribing to local newspapers. It's the key to our democracy, right? No. I tweeted that yesterday. Okay, good I didn't you. like what I saw coming out of uh, Omaha. Omaha. Warren Buffett and uh, his Omaha world not doing well. Or how about New Orleans? New Orleans advocate or the, uh, the advocate out of Baton Rouge, which had yeah. been taking over the Times Picayune's uh, circulation, print circulation, because Times Picayune had called back week. to three days a week. Yeah. So the advocate now buys the Times Picayune and gas the entire staff because there's going to be a lot of overlap. Now it's it's sad to see that a paper go out of well, essentially the papers going to merge and it will now be the advocate and times picayune publishing under the same banner but uh a lot of the people who are at the advocate were once let go from the times picayune so there's no love lost there fascinating what's going on in journalism today so anyways you should that phrase no love lost is kind of nonsensical and i looked it up originally it meant the opposite no love lost Meaning in full bloom love. That means two people who love each other, or at least in the ancient scriptures where this began. But it's come to mean the opposite. Yeah. Vernacularly. Well, it's like I could care less. It should really be I couldn't care less. Like I could care less about your (laughs) reference means I actually care about it. I thought you were really saying I could care less. No. It's just one of those things that like (laughs) becomes such a figure of speech that like literally. Do you know that literally now has the opposite meaning in the dictionary because people have misused it so much over the past few years? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Merriam-Webster has actually added an, an extra version of that meaning figuratively. So because people are, I I am literally exhausted right now. I am li- I am literally blue in the face over this. Right. <laughs> it's like shalom, the Hebrew word for hello and goodbye. Is that is that yes. how that worked? Yes. Or hola. I wouldn't know. Hola is not the Spanish word for hello and goodbye. It's just I hello. It was. What am I? Oh, I'm thinking of aloha, not a lo- not mm. correct. Well, 
It's a hell of a final segment. We've still got a few minutes to bail out. So I was singing last time, the final you were singing? segment. But oh. what's, what's the actual, it's the final countdown. The final countdown. Who's that by? Europe. Europe, okay. I just couldn't think of that. And just thinking of how I'm musically illiterate. Yeah, you are. Like literally musically illiterate. Dude. You're not an aficionado, regardless of what no. somebody says. Jonah Bronstein, break us down on the uh, what's remaining with the NBA's uh, final eight teams. Been Nobody's advanced yet. Right. A very competitive second round, except for Mike Celtics kind of dropping the ball the last three games against Milwaukee. Every Nuggets other Blazers has been my favorite series so far. That's been excellent. Last night's game wasn't as close as the others. Didn't have four overtimes or any overtimes. But that's been a very fun series, especially if maybe you're a casual fan that's never seen Nikola Jokic play. Jokic. And I don't know if you fall into that category, Tim, but he's – Pretty fun to watch, wouldn't you say? It's huge. I like him a lot. And, yeah, Denver's just a team that is not on television a lot. And they're nondescript. So, Both of the teams are, to be honest. Portland they are. Portland and Denver. They are. Those those are teams that just aren't on television a lot. Um, but I've enjoyed watching. It's been so competitive. You, treat, uh, you tweeted out some great stats heading into last night's game regarding how close this was, even by possession. Right, you break was, down the metrics of it. It was razor thin through the first four games. Portland had scored two more points. No, Denver had scored two more points than Portland, and that's you know with the overtimes. I think it was two hundred fifteen minutes, something like three hundred sixty possessions. And this Warriors game, Warriors Rocket series, which is still at two two, fewer minutes, more possessions is a one point aggregate spread. It's kind of like the Champions League soccer where they play multiple games and it's the aggregate scoring. It's not like that, but if it were, this would be a dead-even series after all these minutes, all these possessions. And that's what we had hoped for. It's the two best teams in the league over the last two seasons that played a seven-game series last year. It is only the second round of the playoffs, but it feels a bit like we're watching the NBA Finals right now a month early. So maybe there's some recency bias in me, but after watching Jokic, Jokic? Yes. Giannis? James Harden. <laughs> is LeBron James still a top five player in the NBA, or have these guys overtaken him? Well, LeBron James is not going to be on the all-NBA team. And if you're talking about impact on this season and the present moment, he's not even playing in the playoffs. That's, I guess that's part of my point. Yes, there's five players that I think are more – have had better seasons and are more relevant We're not to even mentioning Steph or this season Durant. than LeBron James, who was injured. However, next year, would he be a top five player in the NBA? I mean, there's yeah, Kawhi, I there's Durant, yes. there's Steph. Like ESPN will do that ranking of players going mm-hmm. into the seasons. Other sites do the same thing. He'll still be in the top five, but it'll be interesting to see where he is. And I think what we're maybe figuring out with these playoffs is who well, what if Giannis takes the throne. Yeah, right. It goes might be Giannis, to the finals. Or... Might be Kevin, probably Kevin Durant is in the lead, and right. a lot of people would say he's taking over that position right now. Kawhi Leonard, if Toronto, Toronto wins and the way he's playing, Nikola Jokic can't get up that high, but he he's he playing for maybe the best big man in the league belt. Anthony Davis, another great player who's not in the playoffs and right. hard to put him. He won't be on the All-NBA team either. Injury there. But he's younger, I think. Like You can assume that he's still going to be what he is next year. Can, I don't know if you can but make But he's never won a playoff about. series and really – it's hard to say he's the best player in the NBA when he gets hurt almost every right. year and has never really had a postseason run. 
You know me and my LeBron takes. I just yeah. You wanted to bury LeBron James in the same grave as Lashawn McCoy about a year ago, <laughs> <laughs> and he went out and he had statistically a better season than all his career averages. Now he didn't impact games the way he used to. I don't think he plays as hard, especially on defense. A lot of poor body language and the way he interacts with his teammates. But when he wants to turn it on, flip the switch, he still looked to me like the same great player who less than a year ago was in everybody's argument for greatest of all time. Now we're saying he's no longer a top five player in the league. Well, I'm talking about currently. Yeah, I'm not talking about his career. Obviously, he's top three in NBA history probably. I mean, you can argue that. But, yeah, I just think in general some sometimes in sports people – are blind or um, naive, or I don't know what the right adjective is, but to the fact that players are, yeah, declining. And sometimes it can happen in front of your eyes, and people don't want to believe it, what they're seeing, until the guy's 35 years old and it's clear that he's done. I think you see it sometimes, <laughs> though, with some recent NBA greats, Kobe Bryant, who did decline at the very end, but Kobe Bryant. Tim Duncan, Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, people wanted to write him off a little bit too soon. There is a point when you get old, and LeBron's certainly an aging player, but I think he falls more into the line of a guy who people like Mike Rodak think is on the way down and maybe hasn't hit that slope yet. Right. I just I think sometimes people are are blind to the the decline from a, a 90% of what he used to be to – 80% to 70%. Like, it's obvious when he's 60 or 50%, but sort of that first couple years or whatever you want to call it of a decline, I think people don't quite want to say it. Can the, I like to say it. Jonah, before we uh, end up the show here, wrap up the show, uh, can the Rockets knock off the Warriors? I think they absolutely can. They've won the last two games. They seem to have figured some things out, how to counteract Golden State's best lineup, people call it the Hamptons Five. I think it's kind of a silly name, but that's what everybody calls it. The Rockets have their own small ball lineup with P.J. Tucker at center that has played very well against them in the last two games. James Harden is playing at the same level in the playoffs that he had in the regular season, which hasn't been the case with James Harden really in the last few seasons. It'll be interesting to see if they can play the same game as well, especially the secondary players in Golden State, in Oakland. But even if they don't do that tonight for Game 5, it goes back to Houston for Game 6, it really looks like we're heading towards a seven-game series. And it's a cliche, but anything can happen at that point. And this is the team that has proven they can beat the Warriors. They did it in the regular season two out of three times, and they're 2-2 in the series right now. Took them to seven games last year. I absolutely think they can pull that out. L.A. Woman. There you go. This is not a new song. No. It's old. Mr. Mojo Rising. It's time to get out of here. Time to pull out. It was good to have the gang back together. I know. We'll try it again next week. Too long. Tim Graham Show comes to you every Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. My thanks to Bill's general manager, Brandon Bean, Associated Press reporter, John Warrow, my co-host Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein, and Bobby Rosati. Catch you next week.